This morning, we conclude our series in Hebrew by studying God's benediction. God's grace offers peace for powerful purposes. God's gospel words acting as a bridge between the brokenness of the world and the blessing his love offers. This morning, we will see how God's past, present, and future faithfulness fuels our faith and feeds our peace as we live the purposes God has for us. Please join us in reading God's word. This is Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All flesh is grass and all glory like the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, please keep them open to Hebrews 13, the verses we just read together. If you do not have a Bible, uh, I invite you to take one. There's Bibles in your, in your pews and in your pew racks. If you don't own a Bible, you can have one of those Bibles and take it with you because we want the Word of God to get inside of the hearts of as many folks as we can. So we worship this morning and we trust that God's Spirit uh, will engage us through God's Word and conform us more into the image of God so that we can leave here in the service of God. Uh, that our service might be more faithful and fruitful in the name of Jesus. This morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to study the two things that everyone in here is looking for and longing for, peace and purpose. In fact, uh, these two themes dominate the last two years of our pastoral counseling uh, everyone, that, uh, the dominant theme that would emerge to the top from all that we've met with would be these two things, peace and purpose. You see, uh, everyone has anxiety and uncertainty uh, that is part of relationships, part of family, part of finances, part of considering our future, part of our friendships, certain fears that we have that drive us, or even the fracturing that is in society. This morning, God offers you peace and purpose to his people, to all who believe and by faith receive his benediction and his blessing. Hebrews has been an exciting journey to study, and I have been humbled by how applicable it has been to God's people. As we've studied this, I've been mainly over in the 1102 service, but it has been a rich blessing for me to preach through this every week. Uh, last week, in particular, as we talked about our kingdom identity, uh, chapter 12, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, an identity that cannot be shaken, and we discovered what it looks like to live unshakable faith in a world that's constantly shaking. In the situational specificity of the author of Hebrews, as he talked about unshakable faith 
in regards to how we see marriage, how we understand sexuality, and how we look at money and material things, it is unbelievable how that has resonated in the hearts of people in our congregation. And today is just as powerful and as potent. The Holy Spirit is alive and he wants to speak to you about peace and purpose. You see, benediction is is the end of this letter and several other letters in Scripture. It's the end of our worship service. As we go out, we receive God's blessing from the worship service so that we can live lives as God's people in service as worship. Now, benediction is is a simple word, and it means uh, that which only God can give us, his, his blessing that comes from him. Latin, it's two words, good and word. So it's, it's God's good speak, it's God, God's good words to, to his people. It's gospel words for God's people, and all through Scripture we see the substance of that. It's a repackaging of, of God's promises to set our minds and our hearts on his sovereign grace. God's benediction, his blessing, gives us hope in our hearts, secure in his steadfast love. It's Trinitarian strength, the eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They give favor of God to the people of God and fuels our faithfulness. It gives us unity, not only in God himself as believers, but in life itself as we seek to be a blessing to our neighbors and our neighborhoods and among the nations. There are famous biblical benedictions, probably most notably in number six when the priest Aaron bestowed God's blessing on his people. And when Jesus left before he ascended into heaven, he gave a blessing to his disciples in in Luke 24, 51. And even at the end of Scripture, a very famous blessing that Jesus gives on his church, the end of Scripture, the end of his word, Good words, gospel speak for God's people. But here's the problem for many believers today. Most of us are looking for peace and purpose in horizontal places. And our anxious toil that seeks to achieve what only God can bestow upon us in benediction and blessing, it actually perpetuates a cycle of ruin. Well, the promise this morning is that God's grace invites you into this new space, the space of his blessing, where you can feast on his peace and find renewed purpose that he's prepared in advance for you to do. So before we unpack the word of the Lord, will you go with me in prayer to the Lord of the word, will you? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you meet with your people. We ask now that you would remove the distractions of our hearts and our minds from our weeks and our worries, and that you would speak freshly to us. Lord, give us hearts to receive, ears to hear, and eyes to see, and help us to know your peace as we discover your purposes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you believe me if I told you that the problems of people 
even those who proclaim the name of Jesus, those problems are not obstacles. They're actually opportunities. We talked a little bit about that in chapter 10 when we looked at the discipline of the Lord, an opportunity to know our Father's love. But here, we see it's an opportunity to know God's peace. Would you believe me if I told you that in a world that is at war and in relationships that oftentimes seem to have more fighting than fun, that that's a place for God's people to experience his victory through knowing his peace? Would you believe me if I told you that the best view of the mountains, the majesty of God's mercy actually comes from the valleys that are oftentimes marked with uncertainty. In fact, it's in the valley where things grow. And God wants to give you and grow in you his peace. Now this is where this begins. If you look down in your Bibles, the author of Hebrews describes God. Now may the God of peace. God is of peace. His substance is shalom. And peace is normal for God's benediction, the blessing of his people, whether it's at the end of a letter or the end of a worship service as a bridge to go out and to be a blessing among the nations. Peace is normal. In number six, the first famous blessing, peace is a part of it. In Romans, in 2 Thessalonians, both 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 Peter, and Revelation, all of the benedictions that are mentioned are saturated with peace because in God's blessing, he gives the gift of himself who is peace. And he wants you to feast on that today. Whether you are in trouble or you have trials, experiencing temptation, Jesus looks at you and says, I leave you my peace. My peace I give to you, John 16, 33. Maybe you are hungry or know people who are hurting or going through a hard time. Maybe it's just the pain and the problems or the persecution that you're experiencing from your faith, much like the first century church. God wants to give you his peace. And you say, Mitchell, that sounds nice, but where do I find peace in a world of problems and pain? Let's look at this, can we, together? The first place that God wants to bless you with his peace, it's founded on God's historic faithfulness. You see this at the verse 20? The God of peace he brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us his historic faithfulness. Here, highlighted by the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, would you believe me if I told you that social scientists have been studying what's called the headline stress disorder? Would you believe me? I think you would. Anybody who regularly reads news uh, on the website or you have a news feed, I don't need to explain to you what headline stress disorder is. But there is a so, whole sociological study that is happening for people who are experiencing anxiety. 
because of the headlines of our world, the horizontal headlines of our day. And many Christians, in fact, are forfeiting their peace. It's like they're giving it away, throwing it away, because we have to find peace in the headlines of our world. Just give us some good news, we say, right? It's interesting. And you might be tempted to say, it's just that darn social media, you know? Just this newfangled technology that's just robbing our peace like we're victims. But you know what? In 1923, the New York Times ran an article about, uh, what, what, let's see, what do they call it? They called it radio mania. And when the radio came out and started giving all kinds of updates on news, it was creating all kinds of anxiety with people. 1923. In fact, there was a, a marriage from Minnesota that was highlighted. The woman divorced her husband because he had alienated affection from her. Because he was addicted to the news headlines coming from over the radio. All through history, that was almost 100 years ago, and at the advent of new technology, whether it was the prolification of newspapers across the country or the, uh, the emerging of televisions and, and news outlets or the advent of the Internet or now social media, that the total consumption of headlines is robbing peace from people and cultivating anxiety. So we're not victims we're not victims of our technology, of our, of our period of history. We are actually human. And humans are constantly looking for hope horizontally. And as long as you're doing that, ignoring God's historic faithfulness, you will live in despondency. Well, Mitchell, how far does this go back? It goes back far, but at least to the garden. You remember Mary Magdalene? the mother of Jesus, she came to the garden where Jesus was buried on Easter morning in the darkness. And she was despondent, discouraged, because the headlines were there. The, the man who claimed to be king had been killed by the political powers of his day. The one who, who was thought to be the Messiah, he was dead, buried in a tomb. Well, the least that she could do in her despondency was to take spices until she heard a heavenly messenger who was clothed in white and showed her the light of the truth, the heavenly headlines that proclaimed, Jesus has risen. And her despondency turned into delight, and she was sent out on a duty, a mission, the peace that she had that led to a purpose of going to tell the disciples and those disciples included Peter and Thomas, other people who were in despondency from the headlines of the day. In fact, Peter was so despondent, he not only had the sickness from the uncertainty of the time, the unmet expectations, the, the horrible headlines of his day, but he also felt sandwiches. I mean, he'd just been eating sandwiches of shame. You ever been there where you just messed up so bad you just keep consuming shame sandwiches? That's where Peter was. I mean, it was just two nights before, three days earlier, when he had betrayed Jesus, denied him three times, and the last one was a servant girl, a teenage girl. Peter, the apostle, had denied her. Because, oh, look, the headlines were clear. Rome was in charge. The headlines were clear. The chief priest was coming after Jesus. 
And he believed those headlines. And he denied Jesus to a teenage girl. You know, we have a word for that. Young and old alike can agree with that. You know what that word is? Wuss. I mean, just plain wimpy. And he was worried, hiding in the upper room when a woman came bearing the headlines of heaven. He's not dead. He's risen. Jesus has risen. And Peter's despondency turned into delight and it gave him a peace with a new purpose and he went to become the rock of the church. The first person to proclaim publicly a sermon for the church, joyfully welcoming imprisonment and problems and pain because he knew a bigger story with greater headlines. But it wasn't just Peter, also Thomas. Thomas was doubting. He didn't believe the headlines of heaven until he saw Jesus face to face. Resurrected Jesus came and said, touch me, see me, feel me, hear me. The headlines are true. What say you? And doubting Thomas turned from despair to delight. He had peace that gave him purpose, and he went to be a missionary to India. In one of the most historic places in our whole world where Christianity is, Thomas took the gospel. You see, peace comes from understanding God's historic faithfulness. The headlines of heaven will lead to a harvest of hope when we cultivate peace and discover God's purpose. This is all as true through all Christians of all time. In fact, when Paul wrote Philippians, it, it, we see how resurrection just reframes reality. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Oh, that was, I'm glad two people said that. The resurrection completely reframes reality. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. Gain. That when we die, it's not the end of the story, because in Christ, the historical reality of the gospel, death is dead. Love has conquered. Our work has meaning. Darkness has a D-Day. Injustice will end. Hate will not survive. Because God has acted in history, he has been faithful. Jesus has risen. That's a headline of heaven. But not only is peace founded on God's historic faithfulness for us, but peace is firmed up from understanding God's present faithfulness. Look how he goes on. The Lord Jesus, uh, who brought, I mean, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And then he talks about a present reality. The great shepherd of the sheep. For the Christian, God is alive and he's with you. In fact, what we studied last week, and it, it, that contentedness comes from this truth in verse Five of chapter 13, when, when kingdom identity is lived with kingdom priorities, when it comes to money and material things, look at verse 5. He says, be content with what you have. For Jesus has said, 
I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, Jesus is our shepherd, and he promises that he's with us, and he won't forsake us. This frees us to to have peace, to differentiate ourselves from difficult situations and even toxic circumstances so that we can engage all of life with peace. Do you see the promise that his present faithfulness gives us? Now, you ask, what does it look like when a sheep doesn't walk with his shepherd? I want to show you a picture that comes from New Zealand. Can you look at the screen or the wall, whatever that is? That's a sheep. That's a sheep after it's been cleaned up. This sheep was gone. It wandered from the fold in the wilderness for six years. If you can look close enough, the, the wool of the sheep covers its eyes. It's blind. The wool of the sheep comes up under his mouth. He can't hardly open it. He was blind, couldn't see, could hardly eat. And you can't tell by looking at it, but he was barely alive when the shepherd discovered him. And they sheared this sheep, and they got, listen to this, 88 pounds of wool off of him. And look at this, this sheep looks silly. And a lot of Christians who forfeit their peace to the headlines looking for hope when they live horizontally, they look silly in our society just like this sheep. But Jesus reveals himself, John 10, I am the good shepherd. And he promises to guard his sheep, guide his sheep, lead his sheep, and feed his sheep. And through that, he wants you to feed on the green pastures of his grace to give you peace. Do you want that? Now, when I tell you that this has been a dominant theme for the past two years, that people struggling with anxiety from everything from family to friendships to finances to the future, the fracturing of society. I'm not kidding. Anxiety is everywhere. And so what I want to do now is I want to give you a path. It's a path that I walk personally. It's a path that I lead others in. Several, uh, several people, past couple of weeks, I have walked this path of peace through centering prayer. We, we just kind of learned this tool with me real quick. One of the most famous passages in Scripture in regards to peace comes from Philippians 4, 6-7. It's a promise. You see it on the screen. He says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Notice that shepherding language. It'll guard you. And you say, wow, that's a great promise, a peace that surpasses all understanding. How do I get to it? Well, look, here's how we do it. See how it starts? Do not be anxious for anything. That's when you name your worry. Name your anxiety. This is what I want gone. And then what's next? You you diagnose this area from work to relationships, family, finances, future. And the second thing you do, it says, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Thank Jesus for his shepherding care. Here's what that looks like. As a pastor, 
Uh, we have mission teams literally all over the world in the DR uh, over in East Africa. We've got a trip going to North Africa and Southern Spain, right? We've got two members in Warsaw, Poland right now. As I pray for them this morning, I experience, Lord, I'm anxious. These are members of our church, part of our family, but you're our shepherd. Will you guard them and protect them? My children, personally, are, are scattered, summer work and travel. I'm anxious. Lord, you're a good shepherd. Thank you for that. Would you please guard them? We have members of our church and, and volunteers who are going with Young Life to, to different camps this week. Windy Gap and Sharp Top Cove, taking almost 75 kids total between the two groups. I pray for them. I'm anxious. Lord, these folks need to know Christ. Thank you that you are a good shepherd. Would you please gather them into your fold? You see, if we name the anxiety and then thank God for his shepherding care, and then we make our request known to God. From the context of gratitude and honesty with our anxiety, then we discover the promise. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Only in Christ. This is only a Christian reality, friends. If you know Christ, he wants to feed your peace. If you don't know Christ, he wants you to know him. He is peace. So, is death near? Is evil clear? Is life full of fear? Jesus is your shepherd. He's with you even in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus promises to turn evil and make it good. Jesus is the one who protects and provides, and he takes our fear and feeds us, feeds our faith. You know what Jesus does to our areas of anxiety when we, when we practice this centering prayer centered on his word? He takes your area of anxiety, he exposes your limitation, and it's as if you have this view from a balcony to see your area of anxiety turn into an arena where God wants to display his glory. That's what's there. That's what's promised in the word. And we can be secure of that, not just because of God's past faithfulness, historic, his present faithfulness, he's a shepherd, but also peace flourishes in God's future faithfulness. You see where he goes from here? It's unbelievable. By the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, we don't have a lot of time here, but I want you to at least know this. Eternal covenant. It's language that comes from the prophet Jeremiah. When the people were in exile, he gave a promise that God would make a new covenant, an eternal covenant, a unilateral covenant where God does all the work and we only need to believe to get his blessings. Jeremiah 31 to 33, and the author of Hebrews has already discussed the eternal covenant, the better covenant that comes through the blood of Christ, the eternal redemption that Jesus gives. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the best, right? And he wants to lavish you with his eternal steadfast love and give you peace. Now, Personally, we like to celebrate it this way from Scripture in Romans 8. Paul writes, There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. 
nor height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor things unseen. In Christ, nothing can separate you from God's love. If you struggle with that, I encourage you to meditate on those verses. Romans 8, 28 to 39. But listen to this. You want evidence that God's eternal faithfulness will not let you down? Let me promise you this. God cannot not be faithful to you in Christ. Let me put it this way. God's faithfulness in Christ cannot stop. How's that possible? Because it never began. It's eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. It has no point of weakness, my friend. God has been faithful. God is faithful. God will be faithful because God is faithful. He is peace. He wants you to know his peace. His substance is shalom so that we can go out and serve. It's peace with a purpose. And we don't have time to fully unpack it, but look at the next verse. You've got to see it. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. God's peace gives power for your purpose. We're going to run through this like a sprinter. He, through the eternal covenant, he is going to equip you with everything good to do, you, are you reading this? You're reading it? That you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. You see, Peter and all of us have the invitation to move from peace to purpose, from being a wuss who worries all the time to live our life as a witness to the faithfulness of God, that we might no longer be strange as a sheep, but we might be set apart, strange to the world, because we have a peace that passes all understanding. To do God's will as a witness, he has prepared works for you to do. Peace with a purpose. Ephesians 2, 10. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. He has a purpose for you to go witness. To discover from God his equipping for every good thing. To develop God's work in you and through you. This is why Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion so that you can move from being, friends, listen, you can move from being self-centered. You can be free from your self-focus. You can put in the past your self-pity. You can kill and bury your self-discouragement because God gives you the substance of his shalom, a portion of his peace, so that you can have the new purpose of living for God's glory in all of life. It's where the benediction ends. Through Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. But it's where your purpose begins. And through this blessing, the benediction that's a bridge from your brokenness and the burdens of this world to go out and to be a blessing, you will join the company of generations who have gone before you and gone after you. Like Daniel in Babylon, or Joseph in Egypt, or Ruth 
in Moab, or Esther in Persia, or Paul in prison, or the early Christians who, according to chapter 10, verse 35, rejoiced when they were plundered because they were able to share about the faithfulness and the promises of God. You see, church, we are free to live in peace. God has been faithful. God is faithful. God will be faithful. Receive his peace and go live for his purposes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We believe. Would you help us with our unbelief? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.